Welcome to Real Conversations, exploring the meaning behind the music. Hi, I'm Reverend Jeannie Kataoka. And I'm Al Yankee. Join with us for a deep dive into the inspiration and meaning behind the music of New Thought, as important New Thought artists share the story of their creative process and their spiritual journey. Real Conversations is a rare opportunity to take a look behind the curtain to discover the connections between the stories, the music, the artists, and you. So let's dive right in to Real Conversations, exploring the meaning behind the music. Welcome to Real Conversations, the story behind the music. We've got the profound pleasure of being here today with Reverend Michael Gott, one of the New Thought stalwarts and uh, long-established major musician in, in the movement. I'm here with my co-host, Jeannie Kataoka. Good morning, Jeannie. Good morning, Al. Good morning, Reverend Michael. Good morning to you both. Thank you. Jeannie's going to uh, let us know a little bit of background for anybody who's not familiar with Reverend Michael. So as Al mentioned, Reverend Michael Gott has been a leader in the New Thought movement for over 20 years. He has been ordained by both Unity Worldwide Ministries and Centers for Spiritual Living, the latter of which also recognized him with an honorary doctorate for his contributions to contemporary spiritual music. He currently serves as the spiritual leader of Unity of Houston, one of the nation's largest New Thought communities, where he has been since 2011. Reverend Michael, who has a bachelor's degree in music, began his music career with playing piano at gay bars in Dallas. <laughs> As part of the New Thought movement, he's been invited to play in London, Switzerland, Ukraine, Canada, Mexico, and all over the United States, sharing the stage with best-selling authors such as Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, and Wayne Dyer. With his compassionate ability to create spiritual community and his background in various musical styles, such as gospel, pop, opera, musical theater, classical piano and jazz, he offers exciting, engaging and heartfelt messages and music. Reverend Michael has recorded and released 10 albums and has collaborated on the stage productions, Split Ends, five o'clock call and all stressed up with nowhere to go. It's been featured in national and regional publications, including Science of Mind, A Guide for Spiritual Living and Outsmart. Reverend Michael says, music is pre-verbal. We're not the only species that sings or has music. It's a way of connecting and expressing. It's old and deep in us. It's transcendent. It moves us out of the mundane parts of life. Music is a powerful tool. It moves in the energy around in a room faster than anything else. So welcome, Reverend Michael Gott. Thank you. And please just call me Michael. Uh, yeah, I, I don't need to be revered anymore. <laughs> Thank you. I, and who wrote that bio? That's brilliant. I need a copy of that. <laughs> Actually, I, you know, your website. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's that's part of the fun part of these is you know people put their websites together and then I go snag what I want and they're like, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. <laughs> You're not I alone in not recognizing it. Love it. <laughs> so to move 
right to music um, for uh, folks who might not know who you are. Maybe they've even heard your music and not realized, you know, who wrote it or who's singing it or whatever. I'm going to go to um, one of your best known pieces. In fact, it's the the title of, uh, I think, what might be your first New Thought album. You can correct me on that, but Love Can Move the World. Yeah. Was that, uh, was that your earliest New Thought album? I think so. I did an album in the early 90s. Um, it was more standards and show tunes, all kind of positive. But I, don't, I think only a couple of original tunes. I think I would say that that's true. This is my first New Thought album. Yeah. But you were still trying to steer towards the, the positive uh, side of life. Right. side of the street and that sort of thing exactly yeah exactly so let's let's give it a listen here's love can move the world from that album 2004 i think three or four yeah that sounds okay right. okay love can move the world michael gott just one life that's all that we've been given here Just one chance to make a difference where we live I'm just one man I'm only human But only human means I've got a lot to give sky moves the sea love can cause the wars to cease love can move this world to peace it's a tide that begins with you and me around there's someone hurting near you look around there's something you can do look within you and find your spirit to change the world there's got to be a change in you love sky moves the sea. Love can cause the wars to cease. Love can move this world to peace. It's a tide that begins with you and me.
you came out of the gate roaring with that one you know that's that that is one of the great new thought anthems it really is Thank it's you. so so empowering so positive um the line in there to to change the world there's got to be a change in you mm-hmm. who uh who do you think you heard that from first you know I'm, I'm not sure definitely it was in a new thought church i i was there at the center for spiritual living at the time it was probably so-called first church of religious science in dallas and that was where i really was introduced to this idea that um consciousness is cause and that um you know the the famous gandhi quote that become the change you wish to see in the world i think those that that came that concept probably it was probably a um a new thought minister that was sharing that quote with this idea and it it just landed in me that we don't start by changing the conditions out in the world we change our consciousness and that's where the change starts so what brought you to new thought churches uh initially i I assume you didn't grow up in a new thought church (laughs) i most certainly didn't (laughs) i grew up in a very fundamentalist uh christian uh kind of a blend of methodism the methodist church and a pentecostal church um no, the re- what brought me to New Thought was um, a paycheck. I was singing in those gay piano bars that Jeannie was talking about. There's a particular one. And, and one night um, there in Dallas, this would have been in 93, something like that, 92 or 93. Um, uh, this gentleman, it was a very slow night. And there was a, one person kind of listening to my music and responding. And just so he's making requests and I'm doing his songs and then so he's hitting the tip jar is what you're saying. Well, I, well, just talking to me because it was okay, there, were okay. there were only two of us in there. And then at, on my break, he comes over and he puts a $5 bill in the tip jar. And, and I thought he was going to ask me out on a date. And instead he asked me to come sing at his church. And that was uh, Reverend Marty Bacher. And uh, Marty and I have remained friends for all these years. And uh, that's that's how that happened. I never I didn't know a new thought from a hole in the ground until I sang that next or some Sunday soon after that at that, that community there in Dallas. And I was there for 17 years and okay. an incredible experience. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. You know, just b- before we leave that, uh, love can move the world totally behind because it is such, you know, um, it kind of put you on the map, didn't it? You know, did you get a lot of uh, a buzz off of that right away or did it kind of build over time? I think it sort of built over time. The, the one that really put me on the map was on that album. It's uh, There Is Only Love, right. which of course, um, Karen Drucker recorded before I did, even though I wrote it and she wrote a second verse for it. And um, that was also how she and I became friends and collaborators um, was through that song. But I, I and that song, 
is definitely better known that probably more through Karen's recording than mine. <laughs> we will get to that in, in, in a little bit. Um, uh, you know, just, just, just wonderful. Uh, you know, the, the love can move the world. The, the first time I heard it, I actually, um, was brought to much of your music through lead sheets. Someone would give me a lead sheet and say, do this, you know, next Sunday. And so I'd sit down and go, this is, you know, I, I, I would appreciate the craftsmanship and the artistry. Uh, but Love Can Move the World just seemed to me like one of those songs that's kind of always been there. It's got that sort of timeless quality about it. Um, kind of kind of all at once, it's, it's a beautiful song, but it's also got a familiarity to it. I don't so. know if anyone's ever said that, but I love that. Thank you. And I, I, I think I wrote it, um, I definitely intended it to be an anthem. And, you know, I grew up with um, onward Christian soldiers, you know, these sort of um, meaning to inspire, but still this kind of militant. And I wanted this to be the answer to that, that what if it's not, you know, using the imagers, imagery of battle and all of that and victory, but rather you know, movement, that love can be the energy. And, and I remember very specifically choosing the metaphor um, for as the moon in the sky moves the sea, that the gravity of the moon moves the sea. It's unseen and yet it's, it's causes incredible change. And the, um, the warmth of the sun moves the tree, that that's what the wind, you know, it's again, it's invisible, but it makes it. So I, I had a, it was very I, conceptual. Mm -hmm. I, I did give it a lot of thought. Um, some of my songs are much more intuitive, but this one, I, I spent a lot of time crafting this song. Right, right. So, so great use of metaphor, you know? Yeah. Thank you. The next song uh, from the same album is not the one you mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, I guess we call it, you know, some, some, sometimes uh, I find that I'm drawn to album cuts that are, um, what you might call catalog or, you know, that don't get played a lot. I'd be interested to actually hear if you do play this much and maybe you do. Um, it's Matthew and James. Uh, yeah. A much different kind of piece of music. Very different. Um, so that everybody else knows what we're talking about. Let's play Matthew and James and then we'll... Uh... in Wyoming a body lies broken slain by the hatred of angry young men maybe someday there will be no more killing we will remember you Matthew until then oh Matthew Shepard we will remember On a road in East Texas A body lies broken Slain by the hatred of angry young men Maybe someday we'll all love one another we will remember you, James, until then. Oh, James Bird Jr., we will. 
Your lives and your deaths we will always remember For peace you have died and for peace we will fight We will fight without knives, without bombs, without guns We will fight for the lives of our daughters And our sons in Wyoming, a road in East Texas. How do we reach them, these angry young men? Maybe someday we will ease all their madness. What we must do is remember until then. Kentucky, oh Colorado, the tragedies play out again and again. Maybe someday we will save all our children, promise that you will remember until then. For peace you have died, and for peace we will fight. We will fight without knives, without bombs, without guns. We will fight for the lives of our daughters and our sons. And we will remember. faces and names we will remember you Matthew and James there's so much to say on this subject that maybe I'll just let you go first if you want <laughs> mm. um, I always forget which year it was um, that Matthew Shepard was killed and the same year James Byrd Jr. was killed. They were both hate crimes. Of course, uh, Matthew is probably the better known. He's a young gay man um, in Wyoming. And um, James Byrd Jr. was a, um, a black man that was dragged to death in East Texas. The, both of the um, those crimes and those losses just hit me in a really big way. And I just knew I wanted to write a song. And so I just sat at the piano and that, that too was, yeah, some of my music comes in a really effortless flow and some require um, crafting. And this was another one that I had the, I had the feel for what I wanted to, to write, but it came slowly and even struggled quite a bit 
but it, in the chorus where it says um, named for apostles, men who mm -hmm. were chosen to show us the light. Once I realized that they both had names um, of the apostles of Jesus, it um, the, the song just took on a, a depth and a life in me. And, and it was completed very quickly after that. Right. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a lovely memoriam. Uh, and the, there's the, the remember word comes up in there many, many times we will remember. Um, the line that stuck out to me is all is probably not the same line that st stuck out to most people, which is how do we reach them, these angry young men? Because of course, they're victims too, even though they're the perpetrators of these horrendous crimes, they are damaged individuals. Yeah, the oppressors are also oppressed by the system. Or their backgrounds or their families, their own fathers. Um, so, you know, I, I, I know you, uh, you know, we all have our own personal reactions and our own life stories. Um, but, you know, this idea that the appropriate reaction to otherness is fear, hatred, loathing, even acting out, and, you know, and, and we know that in, in sensitive young men in that age group, in that age group, when everything seems so important in that kind of 20s and surrounding age group, sensitive young men can hurt themselves, you know, suicide or self-harm. And then in more assertive young men, they act out. And we have a certain romance about all of that, about these loners, the disaffected youth or the, the juvenile delinquents that we romanticize or the, 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 the Clint Eastwood character or the James Dean character, you know, that um, I'm gonna, maybe I'm gonna talk to Reverend Michael now. Okay. <laughs> uh, but can we move away from these unhealthy perverse yet popular views of manhood well i think that's why i referred to it as a system because what we're really talking about is patriarchy and what we're talking about is as the way um feminist bell hooks write about writes about it it's colonialist white supremacist mm -hmm. capitalist patriarchy there really is a system that breeds toxic masculinity and um and it, but I, I appreciate what you're saying too it can just be the father you know the the family system but the these are families within this larger system, which is hierarchical and it's, it's dysfunctional. And we need a, a return of the divine feminine in our culture, in our politics, in the way that we teach people how to parent. So you're absolutely right. Your fingers on the pulse of um, the, and my God, um, Buffalo and Uvalde, we've just seen it again, 18 year old men, children really. Um, Mentally ill, yes, but poisoned by a system of violence. This is our, uh, it's our collective psychosis. Hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, anything we can do to de-romanticize it and treat it as, as an illness and, and bring some spiritual remedy. I mean, I think that's, I do feel like as much as I, you know, the song says, um, we will remember, we'll remember those who are lost, but because I, 
men who were chosen to show us the light. I mean, I, I don't know how it all works with soul contracts and why we incarnate to experience these things so that these things so humanity can grow and learn. But the perpetrators are doing the same thing that they are too. what what they go through is it's meant for us to see and remember and do better. So it's uh, my heart is broken again. Mm-hmm. Um, um, particularly Uvalde with the 19 children, the two teachers who were killed and the the botched police response, all of that. And, you know, it's not that far from where I am in Texas. And um, how do we reach them, these angry young men? I, right, I, don't, right. I don't have the answer, but I know it's an important question. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking it uh, again and again and sadly again. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's... With any luck, that's our heaviest moment of this interview. Normally, we don't get too heavy, but uh, I, I really love the song. Thank you. Well, to lighten it up a little bit, let's let's just go into the next song uh, I, I'd like to talk about, and it's uh, "Move in the Direction of Your Dreams." It's from the Surrender CD from 2008. So let's listen to that one. you think you owe it to yourself to look inside of you and take the time to realize what you are here to do don't you think the time has finally come to stand and face the fire to walk into the blazing sun and claim your heart's desire You were placed upon this earth with a mission to complete. And now the time has come, so stand up strong and claim your destiny. You must move in the direction of your dreams and act as if they've think because the road looks tough that you won't get that far do you believe that only some are great and others left for chance or maybe that it's just too late a futile circumstance you were placed upon the earth with a mission to complete and now the time has come so strong and claim your destiny you must move in the direction of your dreams and act as if they've already come true even when there is no hope or so in the 
like it's crashing, oh, crashing oh, all around you. And the clouds of doubt are darkening your days. Well, then just be still and know that there's something deep within you that will I listen to your music and I, I will admit um, I th that I wasn't all that familiar. Certainly I'd heard your name and I'd heard some of it, but I wasn't familiar with your catalog. And so listening to, especially the early songs, back to back to back to back, uh, I was struck by the idea that perhaps they were pep talks for you, that it was ideas that at that time, I mean, uh, I think you'd been into New Thought for maybe a couple of decades by then, mm -hmm. but you know we're works in progress. So trying to uh, just make sure those ideas are are ever before us and top of mind. So I and when I was listening to this, I was thinking about um, the the idea of Marianne Williamson. Uh, her famous quote about our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that frightens us. And so I kind of thought that fit with uh, move in the direction of your dreams. And I, so I'm anxious to hear what your ideas and what your thoughts are on that. Well, and I did not write this song. Um, oh. this song no, this song is by Derek Rydell who um, is a, at the time, he was leading the music for the Sunday evening service at Agape in LA. And Jerry Florence of Alliance, uh, you know, New Thought Pioneers, and of course, David Alt being another one of those, had created a music sub subscription service for New Thought churches and my church in Dallas subscribed. And this was one of the songs that came through that, um, that service. Now, I say I didn't write it, but I kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I rewrote some of the lyrics, I rewrote the bridge completely, and I just, because I, you know, I, I just had this sheet music, I started playing it, I started performing it, wasn't really thinking about, is this a respectful thing to do to someone else's song, I just was, I was used to working in bars, I did this all the time, just arrangements, but it was only when it became a hit, and people wanted to sing it, I knew I needed to record it, and I could not locate uh, Derek to ask his permission or a beg forgiveness for what I had done to his song. So, um, but finally, as the internet, you know, became more and more, I, I, so I recorded the song, released it, just trusting that I would be able to make that right. Um, a couple of years later, I did find him on the internet. He's a screenwriter now in LA. 
I sent him a copy of the album um, and a past due royalty check and maybe a little bit of a tithe. And I said, um, I really apologize. And I will, you know, stop selling this if you're if you're not pleased. But I love your song. People love what I do with the song. And he was very pleased. And he, he said, absolutely, you improved the song. Please use it again and again. So I feel like I need to clear that up. So Derek, um, thank you for writing such an amazing song and, and letting me tinker with it. And yes, to your point, I, I was, these, all of my music, um, it still is, honestly, I'm still using it to uh, um, affirm my way into the truth. But in the beginning, when I was still struggling in so many areas of my life, I was, they, these songs were prayers for me. So for I, therapy. Yeah, for <laughs> therapy. And or. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I, I imagine the, the next song that we're, we're going to listen to, uh, we can talk about it before we listen to it, is What If Now? Oh. And the line that struck me is love myself for all I am and all I'm not, because that's phrasing that I use, I've used for myself to you know accept those parts that you know not the parts that my favorite parts <laughs> maybe the darker parts or the you know less good parts with bunny ears here um, <laughs> so it, let's talk about that one what if now well and i would say too Jeannie, you've you've picked up on i think a really important thread in my evolution um, as a songwriter for our movement but in my understanding of our teaching i I'm also I'm I'm very open about my recovery um, from alcohol addiction, and it's been you know by the grace of God over 22 and a half years. Still count my halves since I've had a found it necessary to take a drink, um, and that recovery has changed everything in my life. But I'm also a recovering perfectionist, and mm. I always thought that because once I kind of got a, got a hold of these principles of personal transformation the power of mind, you know, in, in science mind and in unity and new thought, I really thought I'm going to get perfect. I'm going to use this stuff and then I won't be human anymore. I'll be only divine. I'll be perfect. And I was <laughs> unfortunately dissuaded of that notion many, many times. And the, the song that you're talking about, um, I co-wrote that one with the late um, amazing Carol Maloney, who was a beautiful singer. The two years that I was in Reno after ministerial school, she became a good friend. She just passed away last year. Um, and just, she's she was really at this place of, of self-acceptance and working, um, working so hard towards that. And I, I had already done a lot of my recovery and therapy and and I'd come to a bit of what I think to be a more mature understanding of what um, spiritual perfection in a human being can look like. That it's our perfection can be so profound, it can hold all of our human flaws and shortcomings and still be perfect. And so that song and that, yeah, it was a very beautiful moment writing the song with Carol. And the, that theme that you've highlighted is acceptance that I will always be human, no matter how long I meditate, no matter how many affirmative prayers I do, I will never be perfect in that sense. And that too is perfect. So to, um, to love myself for all I am and all I'm not is a really big thing. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. And I, I'm gonna, Al often comments on the the music and i just want to say i i appreciated the ending of this song and how it doesn't i'm not i think it may not end on the tonic 
That's right. It doesn't resolve. Yeah. It doesn't resolve. And I was just, uh, that touched me as well, that it's just leaving that open musically and the whole idea of that. So let's listen to What If Now. so much time thinking about all the things I'm not ignoring my own gifts for the things I haven't got so much pain so many years convinced I'm not enough you know it's tough to see the light when shadows fall I've been burdened by History carrying my past. It's time to let it fall away and live my life at last. What if I could say goodbye to the lies of yesterday? What if I decide to let it go? What if now I start to be the one I'm I say in my own mind It's time to love myself For all I am and all I'm not I've got to find the strength To free my soul What if now I start to be
Yeah. I love that one. <laughs> it makes me cry. There's uh, b- before we leave. What if now? Um, I'm not sure I've, co- I've, I've, I've copied down this line correctly. So many years I'm convinced I'm not enough. Seems so like much pain, so much pain, so many years convinced I'm not enough. So many years convinced I'm not enough. Um, yeah, that, that's the one that, that stuck me. But again, it's that idea of perfection, not being enough. Um, so, you know, before we go on to the next song, let's, um, let me ask you, just go back a little farther. What got you involved with music? Oh, wow. That's a great question. The fact that I didn't have any in my home and I just, Mm. I don't know, there was, there was no, no, we didn't listen to music in my house. Um, it's just, it was something nobody I knew played music, um, except for the Naomi Raspberry who played piano at the little Methodist church, the country church. I grew up in a town of 400 people in Oklahoma and it just felt like magic that someone could sit that piano and make and look at something on a page and make notes come out of it make their fingers do that i just so i was fascinated by it and as a small child and would always want to come and peck at the piano and was told i couldn't so then it had this added allure of being forbidden fruit Mm -hmm. so i really wanted to be able to do it because i couldn't and uh yeah but i think I know a lot of musician friends who grew up in musical families and I think, man, what that must have been like. My father was the sweetest, most amazing man, but a horrible singer. <laughs> Just absolutely no, no sense <clears throat> of pitch or tone. And um, my mom's a pretty good singer, but doesn't really sing. But I was just drawn to it. Just maybe it was a soul thing. I don't know. But then um, my Go ahead. May, may I may I ask when you talk about your father? Did he have? Because you've got a, a lovely resonant voice. I don't know if that's training or if that's heredity. Do you remember if he had what kind of voice your father? Oh, had he's got a he wonderful voice. Yeah, speaking. As a matter of fact, in that little church, there was a piece that they the choir and they were a terrible choir too. <laughs> but they they would do a piece at um, Easter called um, uh, what's it called? Three rugged, three rusty nails. It was about the crucifixion. It was quite, um, you know, how those songs are. But there was a spoken narration. And it was, uh, the song was, it was the man, the merchant who sold the nails to the Romans who executed Jesus. And it was all from his perspective. And it was very moving. And uh, my dad always read it. And it was it was really, I mean, even as a kid, it made me cry. It was just quite beautiful. So thank you for that. I haven't thought about my dad and his voice, but absolutely. He had a wonderful resonant voice. Yeah. So you must've gotten music lessons or something at some point you got, or joined a band or something. No, I did eventually. My, my girl cousin, I don't know why it's important. I said girl, but my cousin Lori <laughs> had received as a Christmas gift, a toy chord organ in the 1970s which um, you could play by using numbers with one finger to play a melody. And then you could play a chord with this um, over in the left hand. And I loved it. And every time we went to her house, I wanted to play it. And so they weren't that expensive. My parents didn't have a lot of money, but the next year for Christmas, when I was eight, I got one. And so I started I, you know, just picking things out on the, not picking out, but just playing them from the, from the, the music as it was. And, and then it was a tiny little church and I was 
allowed at eight years old or nine maybe to bring my little toy organ and place it on the stage and i did a solo in church <laughs> <laughs> and uh i kept doing it i was I, my interest stayed and so when i was 10 uh, my parents um made the sacrifice to find a piano teacher for me and i remember they paid ten dollars a month for four half hour lessons and that's what two dollars and fifty cents a lesson i've become that old now i can talk about prices and people go oh my gosh you're so old but that's and i i took piano lessons um up until high school and then i joined the band i learned to play other instruments i started writing songs i learned guitar yeah just i had enough then where i could really just kind of be self-taught and explore so were you still in the same small town uh, at, at that point? So, but yeah. at least they had a school band because it seems like. Um, the high, the, well, actually that town didn't even have a high school. So I went to the next town over, which had about 1200 people and they had a high school band. And that's, yeah, that's where I, I joined the band. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. So for our next selection, we've already mentioned it, you know, uh, there's only love. Um, actually, you've, uh, you recorded it on that Love Can Move the World album, but you also then re-recorded it on the Come Together album. I did. Um, what was the, uh, you know, uh, what was the and, and the draw to re-record it? Well, I got to include Karen Drucker's beautiful second verse. Oh, okay. I, All right. I, when I recorded the first one, I hadn't, I didn't have Karen's verse yet. I love her lyric. And uh, my partner at the time, Mark Jobson, had written a third verse. And so I also recorded his verse on the on the Come Together album. So it has a new verse. And I also, that album is really, was meant to be sung along. And so I'm a tenor. So sometimes when I sing what's comfortable in my key for performance, it's not really pitched for a lot of people, more average um, singers. So I, I lowered the, the, the pitch as well. So it's a little bit easier to sing with. Okay. Well, let's give it a listen for anybody who is going, what is that song? <laughs> There's only love. Michael Gott. Seems I've lost 
Michael, I don't think that there's probably any Sunday of the year where that song is not being performed, probably in multiple New Thought places uh, around the world. Uh, it's really just just one of those uh, go-to songs that uh, uh, works either as a featured song, it works for as a centering contemplative song. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just it's 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 a great one. Thank you. Um, I know I've heard it performed by many different performers, uh, and I've performed it myself dozens of times. In fact, this coming Sunday, I'll be doing it again. Wow. Um, and for expressing this sentiment, this uh, concept of unity, that all is one, uh, I don't think there's a better song out there, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, and the real kicker in it is again uh, in the lyric and it's in the title. The title is simple, there's only love, but the word only, mm -hmm. you know, that it's, uh, I, I know I'm talking to the guy who put it together here, but, but for anybody who's listening, uh, um, you know, we think, you know, you think only and you think might think, well, that means singular, just one, there's only love. And of course it does mean that. But there's also that other meaning of only, as in um, it being obvious. Well, it's only this, or it's only that. 
And that's in there too. Mm. It's obvious. It's just that all this one thing, and it's all in one little two syllable word. Mm. Mm. That's just brilliant. Well, I don't know that I can take credit for that. I don't know if I ever thought about that. I, it just, it just came. Um, this is one of those songs that I didn't labor over. As a matter of fact, um, this is one of the, this was probably the first song or the second song I ever wrote for a new thought community to sing, to, to sing. It was at that church in Dallas. And I was just tired of the music that we were doing on a Sunday morning, we wanted a new song and was up early on a Sunday morning. And, and my minister at the time, Reverend Claudia Franklin, I was really struggling. I, I hadn't taken, maybe I was taking first class. I didn't, I read, tried to read the science of mind textbook and it was just like chewing straw. I just couldn't understand the mm -hmm. concepts or the words. And, um, and I was talking about that earlier with my minister and, and she said, she said, well, Michael, really what we teach is that it's all love. And, and so as I'm up that Sunday morning, I was like, well, I want to write a song. What do I want to write about? What's that thing Claudia said? It's all love. And I don't know why I chose to say it's only, there is only love rather than it's all love, but that's just what came through. And I wrote that song in about 10 minutes and we started singing it that Sunday, that morning at, at First Church of Religious Science in Dallas. And it just became an instant hit with the community. And then the way Karen got a hold of it, and I totally credit her with having the song having its widespread appeal. Um, soon after, we were at a convention, a CSL convention in Seattle. We hadn't met yet, but Susie Ogden was uh, the music director of the conference, and she had just finagled a room and a piano so that all the musicians, whether they were on the stage or not, could just come and share songs with each other. And that was the song I shared. And um, I do a bit sometimes in concerts and I talk about some of the people that I met that day, Ricky Byers, uh, Linda Webb-Kakava, who has passed, um, Karen, uh, Susie, just incredible people. But I sang that song, Karen had her little handheld cassette recorder she recorded it and and I don't know if it's still true, but for many years she would tell me that that was her favorite song of all time and she almost always ended her concerts with it. So, you know, it was really, I just thought it was a little song I wrote on, at 10 minutes on a Sunday morning for us to sing, but she heard something more in it and it became what it is. Yeah. Well, just, uh, you know, uh, from from one singer to, to another. Um, uh, Putting only on on the on the high on the highest uh, notes of the of the phrase too is that, that nice open uh, vowel you know just nice it's so comfortable yeah. yeah 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 that's right no um, we should all we should all be so lucky to have one tune like that <laughs> I oh, feel very God. blessed um, the next the next tune is is from uh, amazing things. Uh, that seems to have been, uh, is that your most popular album to date? Uh, you seem to have quite a bit of mileage with that one. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, um, I think, and definitely my, my most mature work. You mm. know, I think that, that was, uh, I had been in the movement almost 20 years at that point and have been, become pretty seasoned as a performer and music director as well and a singer. So I think that that was, uh, that, that, that was peak Michael Gott, I think. Okay. <laughs> This is another one that, that came to me um, uh, via a lead sheet. I'm gonna continue with that after people get a chance to listen to When I Forget. Uh -huh. 
Here we have When I Forget, Michael Gott featuring Melissa Felipe. so open it's poetic even mysterious um who is who's forgetting what what are they forgetting why are they forgetting we we really don't know maybe you know but i doubt if you're saying um <laughs> like like yeah the, the, there we go uh i was uh, like i said i was given this lead sheet by a by a minister um uh, and asked to perform it for their service uh, several years ago. And so I just, you know, I, I, 
I just sat down at the piano and, and, and started to work through it. And it was slow and nicely melodic and lovely kind of modal chord changes. I was just immediately taken with it. It's, after performing it for a while, um, it's to me, it's almost like looking at a photograph of two people you don't know. They're having a conversation with each other and you don't know what they're talking about. It's just a photograph. You don't know these people, but you can see in it, you get a, some kind of a glimpse of, of their thought, of their care for each other, of the kind of human interaction they're having. And that resonates, it's evocative. So what, can, what do you want to tell us about when I forget? Uh, well, I co-wrote it with Melissa. Um, she and I had become friends. I didn't meet her in that initial conference I was just talking about, but I really don't remember. It must have been another conference. I think maybe where Karen was music director and Melissa and I were both on the team. I'm pretty sure that was probably the way we met years and years ago. Um, but I love Melissa's music and um, I love the simplicity and the haunting quality of her very simple chant, I am remembering. I am remembering who I am. So she and I had always talked about we would like to get together and write some music and we never did. And then the, when I was in, um, after graduating from ministerial school, I, I took a position at CSL Reno and was um, with Joe McKenna there, the music director was helping run the music department. and leading the choir and doing things. And um, a friend had offered um, a weekend at their condo in uh, Truckee, California, up Lake Tahoe. Melissa was actually gonna be singing at the Carson CSL. Um, and she, uh, we've just been trying to get time together. And I was like, well, look, I have this condo. Do you wanna meet up there and do some songwriting? And so we did, we spent two days and we ate a lot of her healthy, dehydrated food and we all we wrote was this little piece and I called it the uh, the follow-up to I am remembering who I am and when I forget and um, I love what you said about it I uh, it was it was not an effortful song for either of us it just came together and I, I, I think I of course wrote it from the perspective I forget the truth of my being and when I do that, that's what community, that's what that's what friends, that's what husbands and wives do for each other. They agree that even when you can't remember who you are, I'll remember for you. So that's really what the song was meant to be. But um, someone told me recently they'd use it for a wedding. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. um, I was, um, a couple of people have shared with me that when they're caring for a parent with Alzheimer's, that the song has great meaning for them to sing that um, they're remembering for their parent. My dad died from Alzheimer's, so that that is another layer of meaning for it. So uh, I love the song and I love Melissa and I'm just really grateful that that song came through us. Nice work, sir. Thank you. <laughs> and I'll just add that um, Melissa is also a recipient of a an honorary doctorate for her music contributions to New Thought and CSL. Yes, she is, as yeah, is yeah. Dr. Karen Drucker. <laughs> yes, that's true. As <laughs> is Dr. Jamie Lula. <laughs> that's it. Who yeah. else? David, David All, and uh, yeah, there are a few of us. That was, was quite an honor. Yeah, I I had the before uh, Melissa and Z got their their RV. I my husband and I got to host them one weekend. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun. They're they're a treat. 
So I think we'll talk about this next song, Amazing Things. I, I'm sure most people who are listening to this and are familiar with your, your work are definitely familiar with that. It has more hits, I think, than any of your other songs. And again, I did not write this song. This is okay. not, this is, uh, and I always want to be very careful because Janice Stanfield and Megan McDonough are the amazing writers of this song. And I never perform it without giving them full credit because okay. it is their amazing song, but it does have a resonance with me. And it is, it is by far, as you said, my performances of this song are the most viewed YouTube videos I have and people love it. Absolutely. You, you may have done for them what Karen did for, for you. I have that thought, Jeannie, <laughs> <laughs> that I've had the opportunity to, to, to bring uh, some more awareness to this beautiful song that they, they wrote together. All right, let's, let's listen to Amazing Things. Amazing, amazing, you will do amazing things, amazing, amazing, you will do choice each new day brings and with every step you take bless the progress that you make the reason you live is there in every gift you give love your life love your dreams you will do amazing Amazing. 
yeah, that that is that's an amazing song, right? Right there. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about it? Well, the first time I heard it, I was music directing a CSL conference in Chicago. Um, Megan McDonough is local there, and um, so I was, you know, trying to find people. Um, we're, I think, I know Karen. That was when she received the honorary doctorate that year. Um, I brought her in and a few other musicians I knew in the field that I wanted to get some local people there too. And, and that's where I met Megan. She's incredible. And um, we had a terrible piano. It was an old, lovely old hotel, but a terrible, terrible piano that wouldn't hold a tune for an hour. And she had a, she came in and Megan is a pro. She has been around um, a lot of different circuits, kind of folk and cabaret and just absolutely a pro. And she was like, so what are we working with? What, what's going to work? And, you know, she just said, well, she's like, I have this song, which is probably going to not sound great on that piano. And this, this is just a strong song, amazing things I wrote with Jana. And I was like, we'll do that one, you know, trusted her. And I remember sitting in the audience and just being absolutely transformed by that song. There was something in the energy of it, of um, again, possibility of um evolution of becoming it just and, and i didn't start singing immediately my my boyfriend at the time mark jobson was with me and he began, he also had the same experience of the song and he started he included it in his new york cabaret act and um, i helped him get the arrangement because the arrangement i do on my album is i put I kind of break up the parts and put them in a different order than either megan or jana do on on their um albums where they recorded it and I, the form of it seemed to really fit. And so it was only after uh, Mark and I broke up that I started singing it myself because it was kind of his song. And then, uh, um, so I don't know, it just became, I, I, I can't imagine not singing this song now. I absolutely love it. I love the, everything about it. I love every lyric. I love the melody. I love the chords. It's just an incredible. It has that, whatever, Al, you know what I'm talking about. It just has this, kernel of truth right in the smack dab in the center of it. I just love it. The last song that Al and I've chosen to talk about today is from your, your new album. And so we'll go ahead and listen to this. It's called You're the Light of God. Oh, okay. So this is by Michael Gott and it's on uh, his newest album that uh, is called Be Revealed. So let's listen to this. I see you in all your wonder and your radiance, and I know who you are. Yes, I know who you are. You're the light of God. You're the light of God. I know you've struggled, I know you're in pain In ways I'll never understand But I won't go away Come sunshine or rain I'll be there holding your hand I see you 
In all your wonder and your radiance And I know who you are Yes, I know who you are You're the light of God You're the light of God We all need help, we've all been in fear Sometimes we just cannot see When the song of your soul is too faint to hear Will you listen to me? When you're lost, lost out in the darkness Will you trust my sight? Trust me, I see you In all your wonder and your radiance And I know who you are I know who you are You're the light of God You're the light of God You are You are the light You're the light of God My thought after after listening to this a couple of times was how wonderful to be seen and known. <laughs> and 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 the questions that you ask within the song, will you trust my sight? Trust me. Um, I, yeah, I was quite taken taken by all of that. So what are your thoughts on that, Michael? A lot. I have a few songs that um, that only took about twelve or fourteen years to get written. <laughs> this is one of them. I I wrote it, the chorus. I wrote many many years ago. It was almost a little throwaway thing that at the at our service at CSL Dallas, the kids would come in at the end of the service, and we needed something. And I knew there were some other things out there that people were using. I wasn't crazy about them. So I wrote just the chorus. We see you and all your wonder and your radiance. And we know who you are. It's kind of a little peppy. We know who you are. You're the light of God. That's So it has this very simple, childlike um, thing. But that's absolutely when we see the kids, that's what we want to say to them. Then a couple of years later, um, I was doing a christening in Reno. And just spontaneously, um, I looked down at this baby and sang that to him very slowly, very sincerely. And he just locked eyes on me like this moment, you know, just happened. And it, I felt it differently. And so I would use it in ritual and at retreats. I would do have people, you know, doing some eye gazing and, and I kind of began to feel the depth of what was here. And I was like, there's more to this song. It needs verses. It needs a bridge. Um, 
and just never got around to it. I, I became a minister in 2009. Um, I know so we're going to talk on music, but I feel like I have to say this because um, I've been joking that um, ministry has really gotten in the way of my career. Because up until that point, I was recording an album every year or two or three. And and that the last album I recorded was Amazing Things. And that was 2011. And I, I had not done an album. Now it's 2022. And so I just music had really it was still in the center of what I do do. But it was not I didn't just give it as much time, not as much time for writing or recording. But I had been putting off doing a new project and I started this project um, this is a long answer. I apologize. But, <laughs> no. um, in t- gosh, two thousand four or three, I sang at a CSL convention, and I did. Um, I don't remember what I sang. That is not important. But I, I got to talk with Ricky Byers. The first real conversation. Ricky's a friend now. I adore her. But at the time, she was a superstar, and I was just in so so in such awe of her. And she had, that was the first time she really heard me and my music. And she began to invite me to do things um, with her. And she said, have you done an album of just you at the piano? And I said, I haven't done that yet. And she said, you really need to do that. People want that because there's some there's a different kind of magic that happens when it's not produced. It's, there's no other people. It's just you. So um, I put that project off, you know, for 17 years. And then finally started it right before COVID. I recorded a couple of songs. This wasn't one of them. And then COVID happened and finally got back to the project this spring and was just kind of, they're all songs that I've written since um, Amazing Things. And this is, I finally thought now is the time to finish this dang song. Now what happened this year is that um, a very important, deep friendship ended. Um, mental health crisis, and I was in a lot of pain. And a friendship that I had really counted on for decades, a soulmate kind of friendship. And I wrote that song for her, and the the lyric, the all of the. The verses in the bridge is like, um, I still know who you are, even though I can't be in your life right now. And um, you may not know who you are, but I, I see your light. So song has a lot of meaning for me. And I'm glad that it was moving for you. Thank you. Michael, um, those were our choices of, of uh, some some favorites, some songs that spoke to us from your albums from your catalog do you have a favorite do you have do you think we've missed maybe something important i don't know about important i do have a couple of favorites um i fly on the surrender album most of the selections that you've had here are um, ballads and they are uh very heartfelt that's kind of that's kind of the way i roll but i also um like something that has some movement some rhythm some energy and I belt, you know, I'm a belter. And uh, that song, uh, love that song. And uh, for years, I would only perform it with a band because I thought it needed the energy. But I was at a concert in Dallas. Somebody shouted out a request for it. I did it with a solo piano. And it's like, oh, this works too. So that's one that I really like. And on the new album, um, a couple, either, um, uh, 
what is it called? <laughs> it's an F minor. Um, um, Let Your Light Shine Through Me is the first track. I know you guys haven't heard the album order, but it's the first track on the album. And then a similar one, it's uh, um, Help Me To Believe. Those are the song, the three that I would just, I'm really, yeah, I love those songs. So we'll use one of those to, to close out the show. Um, which one do you think we should use of those three? Boy, I don't know. Uh, it's like picking your children. I know. Well, the others will still I think live. Just, you know, I will them. tell you as a, both as a music director and now as a minister, sometimes I go with energy more than what the lyric is saying. Okay. So if you want something that's got a big lift, go with I fly. We'll if go with I fly. That, yeah. It's got a, it's got a lot of energy. Can I ask you one more background question? Of course. Um, uh, you know, you, you you mentioned cabaret. I know you've done cabaret. You've been playing piano in, in you know, social gathering places. Yep. Um, and uh, maybe even theater, you know? Uh, so you have you done theater, you know? Not much. Not um, much? But that's, that is not from lack of desire or interest. It was just economics. Um, I started gigging for a living in the early nineties mm -hmm. and I worked at night and if to be in a production of a local musical, it was, you had to be able to do nighttime rehearsals because most people had day jobs. Sure. So I was just never able to, to make it work. I did um, have a, a couple of opportunities, really just one opportunity where a friend um, had written a musical really wanted me in the lead and it was selected to be a part of a theater festival in Dallas. And they could, um, they actually, we had a real compromise around times of rehearsals and I was able to do it. That's really the only time I've ever um, acted and sung in a musical. And I loved it, everything about it. But I think in another lifetime, on an, in another, um, you know, dimension or <laughs> an, another alternate reality, that's what I'm doing for my living. But this time that wasn't it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I certainly hear the theatricality in your delivery, you know, in, in, in the way you approach songs. Yeah. So. Well, and I, I love it. I, I'm a huge music, musical theater fan. I've been going to New York at least once a year, sometimes four or five, six times a year to, to see shows um, for, since I was in, yeah, my 20s, my 30s, I just, I think it's one of the greatest art forms and one of the great contributions of America to, to the world of art is musical theater. It's just the Tonys this year, if you watch them, but oh, yeah. um, Paradise Square, I can't remember the actress's name who won the Tony, but I'm like, I'm, I've got to go. When I get back from Ireland, I'm going yep. to New York, Strange yep. Loop, yep. Uh, Company, the new, you know, right. gender reverse company and Paradise Square and probably a couple other things. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Six was one that Six, I wanted to yeah. see. Yeah. I was just there in October and, and I only had time to do some, see one show, but I, I um, and my friend had never seen Waitress. So we saw that instead. Oh, but, yeah, that, I've seen that. That was fun. I saw it on Broadway. So yeah. yeah great. Um, All right. I have, so, oh, uh, sorry, Jeannie, go ahead. I just have one more story that I wanted to ask about in, in researching, uh, getting ready for this. I saw that you got to do a duet with Billy Joel. <laughs> I did. And I, I think that would be fun to share that story. <laughs> In my mind, I did a duet with Billy Joel. Um, and, but here's the way that happened. I was, for many years in Dallas, I was uh, um, a resident artist or singer in the, in the lounge. And it's a, at, at the mansion on Turtle Creek. So 
five-star hotel, really swanky joint and beautiful and beautiful room. And, and a lot of famous people came in through there. And so I got to meet quite a few of them and um, have conversations, you know, and they, they'd be drawn to my music. I remember speaking of musical theater, um, Cheetah Rivera and I just had the most wonderful conversation. Um, what would happen if they were Broadway or musical people, I would start doing songs from shows they were in. And I would get their attention and cheetahs. It was like one of my breaks. She's like, you come here right now. Come talk to me. So she's like, what are you doing in Dallas? And so, um, but anyway, um, I came in one night and I, this was when Billy Joel and Elton John were doing their touring together. And they did it a couple of times. But um, there were a bunch of shows uh, in Texas, Oklahoma City, um, New Mexico. And so um, Billy Joel really loved the mansion, the hotel where I was working. So he was just basing there and then flying out to do the gigs and uh but he had a night off and him and he and his band were having dinner in the dining room and so um, his band was already in the lounge waiting to go in and the cocktail waitress or the manager came up and said hey i think billy joel's going to come in tonight and he had been there before and another performer who worked there said you know he would come in and sit in it was really great so i can't wait i might get to meet billy joel tonight and I'm performing, I'm singing, I'm singing, um, and he walks up to the piano. And I'm looking up and it's like, holy shit. <laughs> right. Billy, Billy Joel is standing three feet away from me, listening to me sing and play. And then he picks up my CD, um, which is not one of my new thought CDs, my Moonlight and Love Songs album. And he, and he looks at it, looks at the songs on it, and he says, huh, you're good. And I was like, what do I say? You are too. That's what I, said. <laughs> I said, Mr. Joel, this is such an honor. Um, would you like to do a number? You know, like sit in. And, and he said, eh, maybe after dinner. And so um, then they went in, they, they, they got seated in the restaurant. And then, I don't know, an hour, an hour after, later, um, he's walking through the rest, to the lounge to go to the restroom. And, and I just started singing um, from, is Pinocchio, When You Wish Upon a Star? Mm -hmm. and uh uh love that song and the moment i started singing he came and he stood beside me and he harmonized with me for the entire song got every lyric and it was it was just like so i did indeed sing a duet with billy joel but it was not on a stage it was in a bar <laughs> doesn't matter where doesn't no. matter where. could have been a subway station you know yeah. <laughs> beautiful beautiful so Michael, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Oh, for me, um, thank you. You know, to talk to talk through all this stuff, to even get to meet you. You know, wanted to meet you for a long time. Yeah, I, I've known about you and your music, Al, for a long time, and this is so great. And Jeannie, what a pleasure! Thank you so much. All right. So to wrap things up, I fly, Michael Gott. <laughs> Let it go I release the thing I'm clinging to I release what's holding me And I'm falling into God's love I let it be 
there's nothing more I need to do Nothing more to say I'm falling into God's love I feel the Spirit holding me And it is lifting me Lifting me 